Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Roundup. Before we begin, I just want to let everybody know I will be at Retro World Expo in Hartford, Connecticut exactly one month today, August 26th and 27th. It's the last weekend of August, and this is going to be the only expo I'm going to be at in all of 2023, so if you want to come hang out and say hi, I would absolutely love to see you. I'll leave a link to the website that's got hotels, tickets, all that stuff. Just pick them up in advance, and uh, I really hope to see you all there, because that's my favorite expo, and I love hanging out with everybody, so hopefully I will be able to see you in about a month. First up, my buddy Lex just posted a video on how to mod your Dreamcast VMU to have a rechargeable battery. This was all based on Megavolt 85's guide, and Megavolt was the person that did all those Atomus Wave conversions, so definitely a Dreamcast expert. And it basically just goes through in detail and shows you exactly how to do that. And it's one of these things for me personally, where the VM2 that's coming out this year seems like a really awesome and better option, and I don't often like modding and cutting stuff unless you absolutely have to, but there's so many VMUs out there, and really, how many of us are just sick of going through batteries and those things? From the time they were brand new till now, there's just an unbelievable amount of batteries have gone through those. So if you were looking for an alternative to changing them all the time, definitely check out the video, check out Megavolt's guide. Um, you just have to add a battery and a charging board, which I linked to right here. And hey, maybe you still would think, you know what, I'm just going to leave it as is. I don't use it that much anyway. That's completely fine. But at least now you have an option if you, uh, you want to go down that road. PixelFX has just launched a brand new internal HDMI board for multiple consoles, and there is a lot to unpack here. And normally I would say something like, if you're not into internal mods, you could skip to the next section, but maybe stick with me for this one, because I want to make sure I get the correct info out to people, because there was definitely a lot of confusion. Uh, so let's just break, break this all down. The product is called the Retro Gem, and it is compatible with a bunch of consoles, including the PlayStation 2. So this is essentially the PlayStation 2 HDMI mod you've all been waiting for from PixelFX. But you could also put it in the PS1, as well as the uh, Dreamcast. Uh, there's a list of things here. Uh, the N64, 
And then we and Xbox support is coming at some point in the future. So basically, this is going to replace all of their other digital products with one single board, which I think is awesome. Fixel did this uh, late last year. Those boards are still en route, but I really like to see people think of more ways of being efficient like this because that could definitely bring the cost down. One set of manufacturing, different sets of software on it. I think that's a great idea. Um, now, there are two editions, but it's the same hardware. And we'll get back to that at the end, but I just want to make sure I'm clear about this. So the hardware itself is going to require an installation kit in every console that you put it in, because obviously how else would you do that? Are you going to manually trace everything out yourself and run a bunch of wires? No, you want the installation kit so that it could be done nicely and easily. I mean, easily, you know, respectively speaking, none of these are easy mods, but way easier than trying to manually wire everything. So you need to buy the board with a kit and that starts at $120. And I think it's $125 for the PS1 because that requires some extra stuff, but it's $5 difference. I'm sure that's just covering the parts and stuff like that. Now that will go up to 720p. It has Bob D interlacing and very basic scan lines. However, if you would like... 1080p and 1440p support, weave and motion adaptive deinterlacing, free scaling, not just integer scaling, as well as full scan line options, you need you would need to spend 70 more dollars on a software upgrade. Once again, we'll, we'll get back to that in a minute. So um, it really depends on what you're going for here, because if you plan on getting the RetroTank 4K, or you plan on getting the Morph, which there's still zero info on that. I'm not sure if that's a product that's still happening, but the Tink 4K definitely is, and it's got an HDMI input. So if you wanted the best out of your console, you would only need the basic. And I think this is actually, this part of it is a very good thing, because if you knew you were going to buy another scaler, why are you paying twice for scaling algorithms when you're going to be using the one built into the scaler? And that is not at all a dig on PixelFX's scaling built into these HDMI mods. It's just a known fact, right? When you have a device that's dedicated to be a scaler and then whatever the next product after that comes out and the next one after that, this HDMI mod set to direct mode is still going to work exactly the same. And all of those other scalers are going to be doing the hard work. This is just going to be getting true digital to digital from the output. Now, why do you need digital to digital over just using shielded analog cables? Why would you buy an Acura instead of a Honda? Why would you why would you buy really nice speakers instead of just nice speakers? That's that's up to you. If you're the type of person that wants that small boost in quality, then this is amazing. And if not, that's cool too. They're both good options. Uh, I will say that the higher resolution you start stretching this to, the more digital to digital is probably going to make sense. Because right now, even going to 1080p stretched to 4K, you could probably see a difference if they were side by side. But once you start going to 8K and whatever we have after that, every tiny little bit of analog noise is probably going to become a little bit more pronounced because remember you scale everything you don't just scale the signal you scale the interference that goes with it so doing a true digital mod will remove all of that but you don't need it but i mean obviously i'm a fan of this stuff i'm just putting it into perspective so that part of it makes sense 
Now, we definitely got to talk a little bit about the software update because I, I just want to make sure the correct info is out about that. And I, I want to make sure that everybody sees it from both perspectives because you could absolutely say that's DRM, that's a software upgrade. You know, I would never pay for that. Why? You know, that, that's up to you if you that's how you want to look at it. But I think there's a few things that you need to note. First of all, once the upgrade is done, it's locked to that board. And I'm sure if your board dies within warranty, you will get that as well. But what that means is there's no, you know, yearly fee to use this. There's no worrying about transferring it if you ever sell your console. And that's one of the reasons why Pixel FX does, and Dan and Kristoff before that, does Wi-Fi firmware updates. So you don't have to worry about things like creating logins and assigning things to people. They're just automatically assigned to the board. So if you just buy it directly from them right now with the upgrade built in, if you buy it later on, which I think the upgrade goes up to 80 bucks, if you buy it later on, it's still locked to that board. So you shouldn't have to worry about anything and you shouldn't have to worry about having to renew that. It should just be locked to that permanently. And that was something that was confusing because I guess there was no info about that. Uh, so I just wanted to, to make that clear. But there is another side of this, right? And I, I understand the both perspectives. I completely understand people that would be really mad about having the same exact piece of hardware that you have to buy a piece of software to upgrade it. But I also see it from the manufacturer side, right? And, you know, first, I, I totally understand how a company might start to see installers charging a lot for good installation fees, and they're technically making more on the installation than the company is on the board. Now, obviously, those are two completely different things, but I'm only human. I'm not above any of that. I get jealous too sometimes. You know, sometimes I work my butt off to do launch videos and I don't ever ask for money. And sometimes there's no affiliate code. And I basically end up with like two more Patreon subscribers and a handful of YouTube subs and lost a lot of money. Whereas I watch these companies make a lot of money. I wish I could tell you I'm better than that, but I'm not. Sometimes I get a little annoyed, but then, you know, I snap out of it and wake up and realize I'm the one that chose to do this for a living. So the only person I have to blame is me. And I love doing it. Let's not forget that. These are just strange, weird, little uncontrollable moments of jealousy. So I do get it. I do get how you could have a couple of developers sitting around going, you know, we work so hard on this. We put years into it. We have barely any profit margins on it. How can we get more money? So I understand that side of it. I don't know. I don't think that's how I would go about doing it. But my bigger fear isn't that people are going to get upset over this. Because, you know, I would be afraid of that if I were them. I would be afraid that people are going to jump on Twitter and start saying things like, how dare you sell a board with a $5 FPGA and $10 worth of parts for, you know, 100 bucks?" And, you know, I, I would definitely be worried about that, even though I know exactly what it costs to make products and to support them and to ship them. I did that for another company, but I still would be, not everybody would understand that unless you've done that before. So I kind of get that part, but I'm more afraid of this turning into a thing. Like, can you imagine if Mike Chi charged a $100 upgrade to get the latest version of the RetroTINK 5X with scan lines and all those extra features that Mike, you know, the smoothing filter that Mike originally thought was impossible? People would pay it, but people would be pretty pissed. What about Cricks? All of the updates he's done for years and years after the products were released. I don't think those products would be as loved as they are if you had to pay for an extra upgrade to it. And I personally would not have done this, but, you know, 
it's very easy to speculate when you're not in somebody else's position. I absolutely have been in a manufacturing company position, so I have the right to talk about this with experience, but I don't I don't sit where Pixel FX sits. For me personally, I would have done anything to make two different boards. I would have made a cheaper board. Maybe it only goes up to 480p. Maybe it can't even do scan lines or anything like that, but a basic, basic board for under 99 total, including the kit, and then the upgraded board. And even if the two only had a small difference in price, at least it's two different things. Because I think, and I think most people would agree that very often the perception of a product is almost as important as the product itself. And if people wanted to go out there and say, well, this one's got a $5 FPGA and this one's got a $10 FPGA, so why is there a $100 difference? You know, I would just let the trolls argue amongst themselves about that because I would know what goes into making these products. And I just, that's my, that would be my choice as somebody who sat there and made stuff before. I would just want to know that that piece of hardware people have is exactly what they got and then upgrade in a different way. And, you know, that, there's also the opportunity there to add more premium features. And I don't want to go down this rabbit hole because I'm going to end this talk within a minute here. But, you know, there's a lot of premium stuff on the market. I used the Acura Honda example. I used audio examples. But there are different things that you could do. Like we joked around about making a triple bypass edition with 0.01% resistors on there. And it would cost like $30 more. And you probably would never, ever, ever hear or see a difference. But I know there's some of my crazy folk out there that would buy one, including me probably, just because of it. So throw weird features like that and to make the premium one a real premium one and then strip down the base one as much as you can. Do different warranties too, just in case. Because I mean, support is so much of where this cost comes through. So saying, hey, this is a solid product. It's as solid as the rest of our products, but we're only going to warranty it for six months. People might get pissed, but then buy the, buy the more expensive product. But that's just my opinions. You are all welcome to your own opinions on this. I just want the one thing for you all to remember is this is still a Pixel FX product. Their products have been awesome. The DC Digital, PS1 Digital, N64 Digital, solid, awesome products that perform exactly as people would have wanted them to. And some some hiccups and bumps in the road aside, I just think, I just think we should all look at this as a $190 product and, oh, maybe I could just use the cheaper one without the software upgrade. I, I personally would think of this as, let's just say, a $200 product and then, you know, think of it as the opposite, not the small one with the software upgrade, but think of it as the $200 product and you could skimp and get the cheaper one if you don't need those extra features. So thank you for allowing me this time to talk about it. Hopefully I put things into fair perspective on all sides because uh, I just I want to represent this properly and I want to get the correct info out about these. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Will's console mods now has stock of the FDS key drive emulator ready to ship. So if you want one right away, you could buy one right from Will. There's also another store out with a different version, but let me talk for a moment about what this is and why you might or might not want it. 
So the FDS key is a Famicom Disk System Drive emulator made by Cluster M, who's done a bunch of very other awesome products. I linked to their GitHub and their Twitter here. Um, but this replaces the floppy disk drive for the Famicom Disk System. It does not replace the RAM module. So essentially, devices like this, like the other ones that I reviewed way back when, uh, the FDS stick and the Magic Wildcard, they would technically be exactly as accurate as using an original disk because you're running everything through the RAM cartridge that sits on top. So why would you want this over an EverDrive with Famicom Disk System support? You may or may not. There definitely is going to be a difference in accuracy. Crix may eventually keep updating that thing uh, until it's perfectly accurate anyway. But there's also a look and feel to it. There's also just kind of the whole thing about it. I own both the Magic Wildcard and the FDS Stick. And I just thought it was a really cool experience. I mean, you got the feel of using the disk system without... The, the belts that would break without, you know, long, a lot longer loading times and stuff like that, depending on the disc and all that, of course. But so this product isn't for everybody, but it's also not very expensive. It's really for people that have a full Famicom with the disc system that want to keep using all of that stuff, but maybe want to save the life of their disc system. Uh, so that way they don't have to keep putting the discs in using the belts and stuff like that. So I love it. I think it's awesome. I think it's priced right. Uh, I also like a few things about this that are definitely better than the FDS key. And the number one thing is that you load all of your ROMs onto a micro SD and that's it. You don't have to use any kind of software to get the ROMs on because that's always a huge concern because computers continue to evolve while as retro is always the same. So if we have a piece of software that requires Windows XP to load up a game, you might be screwed if you try to do that later on in life. So that's a huge one. You can also select the game via the SDS key, FDS key and its onboard screen. You don't use the controller to select it, which is neither here nor there. It's just a difference. Uh, and then you could also swap disk sides using that key as well, which I think the rest of them did. Um, there's also the ability with this to plug it into your disk system and dump your disk-based games and save files, which is awesome. And I believe you could also use this to write to disks, but that's going to be a lot more complicated. So I would call that expert only. You might want to research that before just diving into it. Uh, but overall, I think it looks awesome. I did a review years ago of the FDS stick. So if you want to see like a basic overview of what to expect on a device like this, give that a watch. It's very old. So, uh, you know, watch that knowing that I've improved at least a little bit since then. But it, this is definitely going to be an upgraded product to that and as it should, right? It's out years later. So of course you would want to improve on whatever else is out there. The only other thing to note is JT Studio has an injection molded case version of this that pre-orders should be open as uh, right now for. So basically, if you want the FDS key right now, you can grab it from Will. The case looks great. I think it's a 3D printed case. Uh, I mean, functionally, it's going to be exactly the same. If you're somebody that prefers injection molded cases and you're not in a rush, maybe get it through JT Studio. But this is an open source project. And as long as everybody credits the original developer, Cluster M, anybody is welcome to make this thing. So you probably will see this popping up at multiple stores. Just please and respectfully take a moment to know which store that is. Make sure you're not accidentally buying it from Bitfunks, uh, you know, the notorious clone company. But both of the, the links I listed are reputable stores. Uh, so, you know, this post should get you everything that you need. And if more stores are selling them, I'll try to add links to this as well and links to the ROM cart page. I just, um, 
you know, I try my hardest to keep up on that stuff, but I just, I, there's, it's impossible for me to know every store around the planet. So I stick to people that I know that I have a relationship with and I know work really hard to get this stuff as high quality as possible. That doesn't mean other stores don't do the same. It's just impossible for one person to keep up with everything. So if you have a store that sells these and you do a great job, I try and reach out. I'll try and update the links, but it's nothing personal. And just, I'm, I'm doing my best. Broke Studio has just successfully funded a Kickstarter campaign for a Game Boy Color Metroidvania game called The Fallen Crown. The Kickstarter is already funded, however, there's one week left. So if you'd like to pre-order, there are so many different options. There's ROM only, which I'm always very appreciative for that. Uh, complete in box, special edition. You can pay a bunch of money to have yourself be a non-playable character in the game. I just, I, I love the way Kickstarters like this are set up. Everybody wins. You know, you, you could buy the cheapest ROM version and still get to experience the game, or you could go all out and really support and donate quite a bit of money, but it, it's done very well. Broke Studio has a reputation of putting out games and, and making sure they're good quality. Um, and this is my, I think this is the first game I played from Atavist Games, and it looks awesome. It looks really nice. Uh, a couple of people, when I did a live stream of it, commented that it kind of looked more like a Game Boy Advance game, not a Game Boy Color game, which is a huge compliment, obviously. Um, there is an alpha version available that if you want to try it before backing, you're welcome to, but there are a few things I want to mention, and I would never mention this other than I want to make sure to set your expectations that this is an alpha version, but there are some parts of the games where you would be able to stand on blocks that weren't actually there. Um, there's some backgrounds that looked like blocks, but, uh, but they actually weren't, it was just artwork in the background. Um, and I think there was a bug or two that I ran into where you couldn't leave a room, but then you hit start and you go into the menu, you come back out and you leave the room. I would never mention any of these things other than just to tell you that this is an alpha. So if you run into those, expect to have bugs. Don't expect them in the final version of the game. I just want to, I just want to set expectations. Stuff like that is the fact that it runs as well as it does in alpha form is definitely a testament to Atavist Games. Um, the only suggestions that I had were, uh, I guess this is still an opinion, but I, I kind of feel like this is more leaning towards fact in that right now there's only one save slot. And I always thought, it was great to have multiple. So, you know, whether you have more than one person using the same cartridge, playing their own game, or whether you're like me and sometimes you get to a cool part in the game and you copy the save file to another one, just like in Super Metroid, you could always go back to that spot. I think that one would be a cool addition. And the only other thing, which is 100% opinion, you could think I'm dumb for thinking this and you would technically be correct, as so am I, but this, uh, when I approached the enemies in this game, it was a very much like stab and run away type of thing. Thing. And while this is a Metroidvania, my brain always goes to Super Metroid and Castlevania, where it's very hack and slash. You're encouraged right away to go in and just start blasting away, and the more weapons and upgrades you get, the easier it becomes, because you kind of earned it as you went along. And there's already upgrades and weapons in this, and you could choose between them, so you put on the heavier armor, it's a, a bigger hit for the enemies, but you can't jump as high. The mechanics in here are already just getting awesome, so... You know, I, once again, just an opinion here. It already looks like an amazing game, but I always definitely preferred where it was more like hacking at it 
Or it starts out like this, and then you earn that, kind of like Axiom Verge. When you start, first start playing the first Axiom Verge game, if you try to blast through, you'll, you'll die immediately. You have to be very cautious, and as your weapons uh, build up, then you can kind of blast through. So I hope to see those in this game, but that's just an opinion. That developer could do whatever they want, and it's their game, it's their choice. I, even if it stays exactly the same, I would still buy it because I still like st games like this. And I, I just wanted to share my thoughts just to kind of paint a picture of what to expect when you're going in. But I like it. I think this has got a lot of potential. And this was my mini review of the alpha. Same thing in written form on the page if you want. And if you want to see it in action, I did a live stream. But this one has potential to be awesome. Now, of course, I have to say, just like I do with all Kickstarter campaigns, nothing against Broke Studio or Atavist Games, but this is a scenario in which you're paying to fund the game to be completed. It's expected to release about a year from now, which is a very reasonable period of time. The back end of it is all already pretty solid. It's made in Game Boy Studio, GB Studio, but you know the, the game, the artwork, the storyline, the mechanics, the way it's playing, it's all great. So there's always a chance that this is never going to emerge and you're going to lose all your money, but it doesn't feel that way. So I just had to put that out there. It's a year away uh, and it's not completed, but I don't mean any disrespect. I just always try to be transparent about all of this stuff because I think everybody listening to this most likely has gotten burned at least once with a Kickstarter. 90s arcade racer, looking at you. But uh, yeah, so, you know, just wanted to put that out there, but this looked awesome and I was very happy to back it. The 1995 PlayStation game Wipeout has just gotten a full source port and an HD upgrade for PC use. So this popped up on GitHub recently, and there's not much information on where it came from. It could have been a source port based on leaks that happened. There's certainly no talk about reverse engineering, but I mean, this is, you know, a 1995 game, so I'm not so worried about any company losing money as a result of this. But it looks awesome, and there's a lot of upgrades to this, like an uncapped frame rate, um, the different lighting and collision responses, but it does maintain a PlayStation-accurate rasterization and blending, so basically it feels like an HD original PlayStation game. It looks absolutely awesome, and if you were a fan of this game, I, I think this would be a very cool thing to try out on PC. I don't think it would ever be possible to do this, uh, to have this running on original hardware with these graphics, but maybe the source would, would somehow end up in tweaking the PS1 version. I don't really think so, but either way, if you want to play a PC version of the original Wipeout that looks freaking awesome, check out Donald's post. Some more absolutely massive news for fans of the PlayStation 2. Not only did you get your internal HDMI digital-to-digital -digital mod before with PixelFX's announcement, but 8-bit mods have just opened pre-orders on the Memcard Pro 2. And there's a bunch to talk about here. First of all, it has all of the same features as the original Memcard Pro with a bunch of PlayStation 2 features as well, like being able to use free McBoot and a couple of other things. It is compatible with all PlayStation 1 and 2 consoles, so one memory card for both, and it's $44. That's it. So now, when the original Memcard Pro was released, it was more expensive than this, and I did make a point in that launch video to say, hey, you know, for you, maybe it might be worth it to just grab a cheap knockoff thing from Amazon or eBay and, and save up for this if that's working for you. But at $44, 
a memory card that works on both consoles that could have, you could throw in a cheap micro SD that'll fit every save game for every game you could ever play for those consoles on it. Now you're getting to be about the same as a handful of knockoff memory cards, but infinitely more features. So this one's pretty much a must buy for anybody that has original PlayStation or PlayStation 2 consoles that they want to continue to use and use their memory card with. Um, there's also all the other features like Wi-Fi. Uh, there's going to be cloud save storage for, uh, for your save games. And then it also works with OPL the same way it worked with XStation so that each game that you load digitally with that will get its own custom memory card. So it, there's just too many features to list. This thing is absolutely awesome. They also lowered the price on the original MemCard Pro. If you're still interested in that, maybe you just have a PlayStation 1 and you don't want to deal with this. Uh, you know, you don't want to, you have no need for this. I mean, then that's cool too. But this is just one of those awesome things that like, everybody wins. So kudos to 8-Bit Mods for this. Um, I believe it's going to support, uh, it's going to ship by the end of the year. So this is not in stock. This is a pre-order, but there's two versions, smoke, uh, kind of a transparent smoke and a charcoal color to match the PlayStation 2 black. But I, I definitely picked one of these things up. I mean, this just looks like the exact memory card we all would have wanted. So at, at the bottom of this post, I did have my original review of the first mem card pro. So if you don't know anything about it, maybe give that a watch, but keep these new features in mind uh, when you watch it. Cause this is just, I can't gush enough about this. As long as it works as advertised, which it mods has released two different versions of this in the past. So I have no reason to believe that it won't. Then this is probably a must buy for everybody who still uses both of those original consoles or heck even just just a PlayStation 2 for all the features that you get with it. So very excited to try this one out. Game Gear LST3 was just patched to work with original hardware and emulation. So let me tell a very quick backstory, and then you could drop off after if you don't care. But at the very least, maybe stick around to see what this is. So a couple of years ago, the company M2, the very awesome game developer, announced a new sequel to the LST series. And this game would only be accessible if you bought that little trinket toy, the Game Boy Micro, or if you bought the PS4 and Switch versions of the Aleste collection. Now, people who bought that eventually unpacked the game, dumped the ROM, and found out that it was locked, so you couldn't use it anywhere other than those games. Which kind of stinks, because, you know, you legally purchased that game, but whatever, it kind of is what it is. However, now a new version of the game was discovered without that security protection. So people have just created a patch that allow you to take the ROM that's already floating around in the game you may have already bought, patch that, and run it on original hardware. Now, this was always designed to run on software emulation with the emulation overclocked. So there are going to be lots of scenes with slowdown in it on original hardware, but it's still a novelty that if you have the ability to play on a Game Gear, if you have an EverDrive or something, I would absolutely do that. So if you don't care any more about this, feel free to drop off. But we do have to talk a little bit about the pushback that, and kind of the, the backlash from this. And it's something that I think is more of a misunderstanding, but it comes from the president of M2, which was weird. So first and foremost... You know, and by the way, before I get into this, I know we've had this discussion quite a few times on this podcast, but I want to phrase this around GGLSA3 and kind of as if I'm speaking to the president of M2, because I really hope they listen to this. But first and foremost, if somebody has purchased these games, the Switch or PS4 version of the game, 
they have supported M2. They have supported the company that have make these games. So if they dump the ROM and want to play it on their game gear, that that is morally 100% okay. Depending what country you live in, maybe that's legal, maybe it's not. I don't care. I just care about the moral aspect of this. You have paid M2 your money, so now that's your game. And these were only released in Japan, which means people around the world had to pay extra money and jump through hoops to import them, which has no basis on any legal argument, but from a moral point of view, you have customers that have bent over backwards to get your game. And you're supposed to have to market these things around the world. You're supposed to have to pay to get the info out to to convince people that this is the game they want to play. And now you have fans of your game going out of their way to get it, that you didn't even have to market it in these other territories. That's a huge compliment to M2 and the work that they do. And I think that's definitely something they need to keep in mind. However, um, leaking a ROM absolutely has the potential to hurt game sales. Definitely. But there are a few things that M2 really needs to keep into perspective on this one. First of all, who are playing these ROMs? People that have the ability to do all of this stuff uh, especially if you're playing it on original hardware. You need to purchase a Game Gear. You need to have somebody replace all the capacitors if it even works at all after that. You have to get a ROM cart in order to do it. So these are fans that have probably bought the game anyway. And even if they haven't, what percentage of sales are you losing because of this? I mean, this is three years after the game was released. So it's not like the game was leaked before the, the, they went on, or the ROM was leaked before the game went on sale and you lost a bunch of money. And yeah, there are definitely going to be people that just fire up an emulator and give it a try to see what it's like. But how many of those people were going to buy it anyway? So I don't really feel like money was lost from this. Now, yes, I'm sure there are some people that are, especially one notorious person that's going to be selling complete in box copies of this on a Game Gear cart, which sucks and it's kind of kind of slimy because you are taking away from, you know, if M2 were to ever have done that. But on the flip side, what if I already bought and paid for the Switch version and it's sitting right here and then I buy that complete in box version? Yeah, they're selling somebody else's IP, but I, I still have already paid M2 for that. Uh, or what if they bundle it with a Switch or PS, or, or um, yeah, Switch or PS4 version? Are they technically selling you the ROM legally? That Once again, that depends on what country you live in. So, you know, I'm not condoning this. I'm just saying that, you know, repros, they suck and I, in most cases. And I, there are definitely gray area times, but... You know, this isn't something that's going to shut down M2 because a couple of people made some repros about this. And if anything else, I would look at this as, hey, maybe we should work with limited run games. They're notorious for putting out re-releases of stuff like this. They have a development team that might even be able to help make it happen and do the patches so that we could release a Master System and a Game Gear version. I would be excited that more people are looking for this, not offended that maybe the people who bought this would have bought it from you and you didn't get around to it, which is a nasty thing to say, but it's very fair perspective. So my advice to anybody who was very upset over this ROM leak is to just take a step back and see what this actually means to the retro gaming community and especially to M2. It really just means people love your stuff and want different ways to experience it. So Try not to alienate the people who are who are really going out of their way to buy your games, even if they're not available in your air in their area. You know, if you really, especially if the fans of M2 feel that compelled to make such a stink over this, 
why don't you use that energy to try and, and tell limited run games we want to buy a pre-order of this or talk, you know, tweet at Nintendo and tell them, hey, we want this on the U.S. shop too. Use that energy where it would actually make a difference and, and not where you're just going to end up accidentally trolling members of the community who have bent over backwards to get Japanese releases available around the world. So hopefully the president of M2 would, would hear this or hear a, a short summary of this and understand that this, while, yeah, it, it sucks that a ROM was leaked, it's three years later and it's going to do nothing but point more people towards this because, you know, your average adult that doesn't have all of this time and extra hardware that wants to see what the game is like might have found out about this because of the ROM leak and just go buy the Switch version from an importer. <laughs> you never know. But that is my plea to you, uh, sir, president of M2. I'm a giant fan of the work that you all do. So maybe just consider looking at it from this point of view. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm just going to skim through these. If you hear anything that piques your interest, please go watch Lou's video where he has a lot more info to it. I'm only going to add more when I really feel like I have something to say, and I absolutely have something to say about the very first thing we're going to talk about, the new Mr. Multisystem console cases. Holy crap, are these things cool. I have been ranting about them on social media. There's one that looks like a Genesis 2, one that looks like a Neo Geo, and one that looks like a PlayStation. They have snack adapters built right in. I think the PlayStation one's probably going to be the one that I end up getting just because it has the GunCon 2 port in front, as well as the PlayStation port. So that's the, the snack adapter for that. So I could use that light gun on any of the consoles that have it, but it's a really tough choice to choose between them. So if you have a Mr. Multisystem or if you were looking to pick one up, now you have a choice of their own customized case, which I always loved. Looks like a console, in my opinion. Looks like a 90s retro console. Or you could actually make it look like 90s retro consoles with these. They are not up for sale yet. You would have to print your own. But the moment they are up for sale, you you know you're going to hear from me about it. Because I want to support the Mr. Multisystem team. I want them to make a bunch of money so that they could fund whatever next project they're working on. So yeah, that's very exciting. Speaking of exciting, Robert has also showed... More tests related to the N64 core, and that is also coming along nicely. Shockingly, good jo not shocking that Robert did it. No, I don't think anybody doubted his, his capability. It's just shocking that he's moving so fast through it. Also, Anton Gale posted schematics of the sync and video generation hardware for the arcade game Targ. Uh, and that's a vehicular combat game from 1980, so it's cool. More, um, more kind of older games are coming out. The Mr. Multisystem team also announced a low-latency USB adapter for Nintendo controllers, and it's USB-based, so it'll work on basically everything. So it's, uh, I think it's SNES and NES controllers, so that's also very cool. Uh, Electron Ash posted about implementing the Dreamcast's VR2 chip in Verilog. I just want to set expectations for this one. It's very, it, technically that means Ash is working on a Dreamcast core, but I think at the moment, this is more of a proof of concept. Like, hey, can we get pieces of the Dreamcast working in FPGA? And eventually, can it be stitched together to be something that runs at a partial speed? Or is this more planning for whenever the next generation hardware comes out? So I definitely want to throw props to, to everybody who's working on this, because I, I believe Ash was talking to a few other devs about it. But I, I respectfully just want to set expectations straight and say that don't expect a Dreamcast core tomorrow. But this could lead to awesome things. So patiently, let's keep our fingers crossed. 
Next, all monochrome games for the Neo Geo Pocket are booting in Hotego's Mr. Core, but they all still have problems, so more, more work needs to be done before that's released. Um, Twitter user Leland loaned out a PCB for the arcade game Fairyland Story to Hotego's team so that hardware could be better documented for core development. Wizzo, who has been the person that I interviewed a while back, I've been gushing over the remote script, has just showed an experimental GUI that could also load screenshots. So for the first time ever, the mister is starting to look pretty. And I know people get really upset when I talk about that, but the UI, it's more like a TUI. It's more, it looks like you're going through the menus of RetroNAS, not going through the menus of probably one of the... I might call the Mr. Project one of, if not the greatest, long-term retro gaming project ever. Meme probably still owns that title just because of its, how long it's been around and how many games it's covered, but the Mr. Project is creeping up on it. And it still looks like you're booting a 1980s PC when you get to it. And it still has that static background as default, which crashes all live streams. So it's very frustrating to see how much work that, that everybody, Sorge, the whole team put into that. And it still looks so unimpressive when you turn it on. And yes, of course, you could load up uh, Update All. You could get Ronnie's wallpapers on there to make it look a lot better. There's a lot of things that you could do to improve it. But I really hope this GUI goes the distance because... I think the user experience doesn't matter once your game is started, but I think it's kind of a big deal. And a, a stupid but fun example is I had a friend, I built a Mr. System for them, put it over there in their really nice 27-inch Sony uh, CRT. And this person is definitely smarter than me, but I had to show them three times how to boot into their game because it's just not very intuitive. So hopefully a GUI could, ever, could come out that makes Mr. Feel a bit more welcoming. Uh, there's also been a bunch of other fixes and updates to a ton of different cores from TurboGrafx to Sega CD to Super Game Boy. So as usual, uh, if you want any more of this info, please check out Lou's video and don't forget to subscribe to his channel as well. Next up, developer Chris Covell has just released an emulator that allows you to play Game Boy games on TurboGrafx CD or Super Graphics consoles. And I'll start out by respectfully saying, you know, most people probably aren't going to use this as their Game Boy solution unless you already have all those things and don't own a Game Boy. But that's not what projects like this are about. Projects like this are about doing something that everybody thought was impossible, using the knowledge that you've gained over the years to make something unique and different and cool, and also envision what it would have been like to own a TurboGrafx CD back in the day and be able to play Game Boy games on them. Obviously, there weren't CD burners back then that were affordable for consumers, but still, imagine what that would have been like. But anyway, if you want to try this out, you download a package right from Chris's site, you drag your original Game Boy game over to a corresponding batch file that matches your hardware, and then you'll either end up with a Super Graphics ROM that could be loaded on any ROM cart, or a CD image where you could just burn a CD and be able to play the game that way. Now, the CD module and the Super Graphics are required because extra RAM needs to be utilized in order to get this running. So you can't just take a TurboGrafx-16 and an EverDrive in order to do that. You might be able to use it um, to do that using the Super SD divided by 12. I, I never know the name of that thing. The last Terra Onion product that does Super Graphics emulation, you could probably run it on that. Um, but I just, I, I think this is awesome. If you have original hardware and you want to give it a try, definitely take the time to do this because it's just so neat to see stuff like this running. 
The controller works exactly as you would expect, basically the same as it would be if it were an, an original NES controller. And even in the game, you could hold select and then press run on the controller to bring up an options menu. Uh, Chris really went above and beyond for this. So I guess uh, I would probably, it would probably be best if I pointed you to, uh, to Chris's video where he goes in and describes and demonstrates all of this stuff. So if you were interested in it, at least watch the video and see. If you have original hardware that you want to try it on, feel free to give it a try. It's a free emulator. And if you want to hear more from Chris, I did an interview with him years ago. And it was back when I used to stick interviews at the end of this weekly podcast. And I'm sure my interview skills were even more crap than they are today. So uh, maybe, you know, I, I should just re-interview Chris at some point in the future and highlight all of the work that he's done over the years. But anyway, check this one out. This is definitely a, a hell of a lot of fun if you have a Super Graphics or a PC Engine CD. And go play some Game Boy on your NEC console. Well, that's it for this week. I had to record these early on Tuesday just to make sure I had time to get some extra work done and potentially do a live stream. So if there was a live stream Tuesday and I didn't talk about it here, it's because I had to get this done first in order to have time to do that. But if anything awesome happened, you could bet that there will be a post and a follow-up next week. Maybe just check the YouTube channel just in case. But anyway, as always, thank you to all of you for watching, listening, playing nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to people who support in absolutely any way because it is you who makes all of this stuff possible. Possible. So thank you all so much, and I will see you next week.